0: Thank you, John. Uh, I just have to, this is not in my script, but being Martin Luther King Day, I was thinking about how, uh, in one of my classes, we were talking about, uh, we actually did the class on him, and um, I thought I saw a video of it, but I remember that Mahalia Jackson, is that how you say her name, Mahalia? Okay, so I don't know, have you ever seen that video where she's sitting there, she's a big woman, it's really hot. She's sitting there, Martin Luther King is, um, he's trying to do, I have a dream, and he's kind of like, she's sitting there, tell it, brother, tell it, tell it, brother, tell it. And he's like, and she's just, you know, really big, tell it, brother, tell it. And I just thought, I wrote a paper how we may not have had that speech if it wasn't for the community of Mahalia Jackson telling him to urge it on. So you can all do that for me. Tell it, sister, tell it. Okay, that's what happens when we get community, we get all this good stuff. So I'm not going to say any names, but the other day when I told someone the title of my talk, they asked, what does the golden rule have to do with being a doormat? So thank goodness they asked. Uh, So it is that when I follow the golden rule and someone else doesn't follow it, I don't say I'm going to show them and get back at them. That's not living according to the golden rule. And that I don't want anyone to get mad at me if I don't do something that I don't like. So what do I do? Do I just say, okay, and just give one of those really cringy, fake smiles? In my book, that's called being a doormat and not a happy doormat. So I've had to find a way of living that rises above the golden rule, so I'm not a doormat when other people don't follow the golden rule. And they treat me like shiitake, and I'm not talking mushrooms here. Okay, so we can all go home now, right? We're all done. We got Mahalia, we got that, we, got, we can go home. Um, my dog seemed to think when I was giving her my sermon she walked away, she didn't think she needed it. Okay, so uh, anyways. One of the first things I learned while taking classes to be a practitioner is that the major religions have their own version of the golden rule in common. Here are a few examples. Buddhism treat not others in ways that your you yourself would find hurtful Christianity in everything do unto others as you would have them do unto you Islam not one of you truly believes until you wish for others what you wish for yourself <gasps> Judaism what is hateful to you do not do to your neighbor Native spirituality, we are as much alive as we keep the earth alive. Sikhism, I am a stranger to no one and no one is a stranger to me. Indeed, I am a friend to all. Unitarianism, we affirm and promote respect for the interdependent web of all existence of which we are a part. Now, as you can hear, there are strong echoes of science of mind's principle of oneness in some of these, such as Sikhism. I'm a stranger to no one, no one's a stranger to me, and Unitarian's interdependent web of existence. And yet there are also strong echoes of ethical and moral values, which many would consider to be the basis of most world religions. But we, as participants of a philosophy of life, that is also a faith tradition called Science of Mind, we have the 10 core concepts that go beyond ethics and morals. And I'll go into those a bit more later. But see, the thing is is that while ethical and moral values are what we put in place and adhere to in order to create and maintain a peaceful society, we know that, um, especially during times such as these, That alone doesn't necessarily work, right? So I know in my own life, when I do unto others as I would have them do unto me, I'm setting a parameter of how I expect the other person to act in response and as a result of my behavior. But as I've experienced, and perhaps some of you have as well, this expectation many times is not met. A friend of mine put it this way, some people have their own set of rules. They expect others to obey certain rules that they don't have to obey. Different rules for different people. So that means for me the golden rule doesn't work so well because I, if I do unto these, let's call them special people. Uh, If I do unto these special people, as I would want to have done unto me, well, they have a different playbook altogether. It's along the lines of, I'll do unto you what I want to do. So for much of my life, I've let these, we'll call them special people, treat me this way because of a false belief that in order for people to like me, love me, tolerate me, I had to do what they wanted me to do even if I didn't want to. That I had to pay for these likes, this tolerance, this supposed love, and I did for many years. But what I was doing was making myself a doormat to be used for other people to step on, wipe their dirt off of, and then go on their merry way. Some people may call this being a doormat behavior codependent, or some may say, "Ah, you don't have any boundaries whatever you call it, it doesn't matter. The result is that I felt I was being used. So when I give, whether it be giving other people what they request of me, such as to do something, or if I give a courtesy, such as a smile or thank you, or if I give a present, and I do so with an expectation that in return, the person will like me, tolerate me, and maybe even love me, then it's not giving. It's bartering, giving XYZ to get XYZ. There are conditions and expectations to my giving, so it's not really giving. It's a transactional exchange. And what happens is that I end up feeling resentful towards those who haven't kept up their end of a bargain that they didn't even know that they were in. They thought they were simply receiving a gift or a courtesy from me. Not that I had initiated a transactional exchange and was expecting them to give back something in return. Whether that be an acknowledgement of what I gave or a thank you or some reciprocity on their part. So when I think about this, I think of one of my favorite teachers who also taught Ernest Holmes and Charles Fillmore, founder of Unity, and many other new thought leaders, and that's Emma Curtis Hopkins. So Emma's way of teaching was that students would just sit and listen to her, and that was it. She would just talk, she was a mystic, so she would just talk and people would sit and listen, probably take notes, and she charged a lot for this and people paid it. So it was all a transactional exchange, albeit it was, of in exchange of a, a part for a spiritual teaching it was still an exchange so one day Ernest Holmes thinks he's gonna like you know curry some favor or you know kind of he has you know he wants to do something nice for her so he brings her flowers and what does she do she says oh okay I'll take these with me later today when I go for a funeral so it wasn't like a thank you. It wasn't like I'll enjoy them, how beautiful. It was just like, you know, uh, you saved me a trip to Trader Joe's or wherever you would go to buy flowers in the 1800s. So I don't know about you, but wow, you know, and I don't know about earnest, re- earnest reaction or response, but if it happened to me, I'd be offended if someone thought of me as their delivery service for funeral flowers. I mean, expectations. The bottom line is this. When we live by the golden rule of do unto others as you would have them do unto you, there is an expectation. That is, as I would have done unto me. And I'm going to go so far as to boldly state that whatever our expectations are, they will not be met by others because of this. It's when we create an expectation of something or someone When we expect or desire a certain result, what we're doing is we're writing, directing, and acting in our own private melodrama, or what Emma would call it, yes, the same Emma, fancies of our imagination. So we are creating what I call a story. And the story is what we want to have happen when we do something for another person with an expectation following the golden rule. So the holiday season is past us now, and I don't know about you, but wow, talk about the golden rule and unmet expectations. It's not just about the gift giving, but also the courtesies and etiquettes. If they send me a Christmas card, do I have to send them a card? If I get invited to this party, do I have to invite them to that? And it's just... It's also like the person receiving the gift or invitation, whatever it may be. Uh, How did they acknowledge the gift or whatever it is I gave them? Did they even say thank you or even acknowledge the invitation, RSVP? Maybe they even give a sincere heartfelt thank you. There's so many choices to these stories. Well, the multiple choice response I choose is that when I give anything to anyone, Again, we're not talking just a gift or money. Anything like an invitation, a compliment, a smile, anything that I give that when I do so is because I give it freely without any expectations whatsoever. When I give with this open heart, it's because I'm in tune with and in alignment with the divine impulse of love that nudges me to give when i listen to that nudge and follow it what i'm given in return goes way above anything anyone could do on the level of the golden rule exchange what happens is that i become immersed in the flow of divine reciprocity because i am in alignment with divine love and law so going back to the holiday season I have two people who I see on a regular basis and pay in exchange for their services, which I greatly value. Both are not exactly happy campers, and I witnessed this with compassion. But this Christmas, I was given the divine nudge to be more generous with them than I usually would have been. Now because I was given from divine love and not the golden rule, I had no expectations or conditions. And what happened? Well, once again, I was left in awe of the power of divine love. And I hope I never become so used to these demonstrations and manifestations that I don't get blown away with awe each and every time. What happened is that one of these unhappy campers told me that not only were they grateful for all of their customers and clients, they were grateful for all of their life, for all of their blessings without me prompting them, just out of the clear blue, telling me like, yeah, I'm a happy camper, life's good. And the other person was not only grateful, but shared with me that they're ready to pick up their campsite and move to another campsite where they can be happy. Like, they know that the goodness of God is here for them too, so they can be a happy camper. So this is where Science of Mind's core 10 principles come into play in practice. I don't have slides because I don't really want you to take notes. It's pretty dense here, and this takes time and years, but I want you to just kind of ingest it as much as you can. Core principle number one, oneness. As I said, I'm a compassionate witness to these two people, actually to everyone, including myself, knowing that we're all one. And because of that, I'm not just empathetic and can feel another person's pain and suffering. But I do so in the spaciousness of being a compassionate witness in this oneness. Core principle number two, triune nature. The triune nature of God is that spirit, soul, and body. And because we are all one with and of God, we all of us humans share the same triune nature. God is the macro. And worth micro. Core principle number three: creative nature. God is the first cause of all creation, and so, being one with and of God, we're one with and of all created and creation itself. In that, us humans have the God creative nature within us, through us, as us to also co-create to create as in I co-created the situation with these two people, because I'm attuned to God's triune nature and that same nature within me. Core principle number four, prayer. I access this oneness with God as triune and creative in nature that is also within and through me with affirmative prayer. Prayer. Knowing without a doubt that God is that absolute goodness that is always operating in and as and through all that is. It's an absolute goodness to which there is no opposite. Core principle number five, wholeness. With this prayer treatment is the knowledge that God has given us free will to choose our own unique experiences. For spirit, as the perfect whole, contains and embraces all seeming opposites that appear in our human will human experience. The wholeness of God is within us as us, and as we choose to see that there is no duality, we can also choose to see that there is only this wholeness core principle number six abundance knowing that we have the ability to choose our experience we can choose to experience abundance knowing that God is universal absolute abundance and being one with and of the very same nature of God we are one with that same abundance we don't have to earn it or work for it we are abundant by the very nature of choosing our experience of divine wholeness that we are made of. The reciprocal universe. For everything seen on this earthly plane, there is the unseen or another plane. And that means that what we can imagine and believe in, we can receive. So because I choose to imagine and believe, And with this practice, over time, it becomes a knowing. I know that I am loved, lovable, and loving. And I don't have to give something to someone or do anything for someone to buy their love. They will love me because I am loved, lovable, and loving. And so what returns to me is love such as the demonstration of the power of divine love that I shared of how the two formerly unhappy campers told me that they are now much happier campers. And I receive this love as freely and joyfully as I give it. This is divine reciprocity. Core principle number eight, forgiveness. God does not know about unmet expectations because God is about the eternal now in this moment, not the stories we create in our heads about the past and future and how if these stories don't play out according to our liking, we can feel resentful or hold a grudge. God doesn't hold grudges, but we do. I know I certainly have been known to hold a grudge, when I have unmet expectations. So we must forgive ourselves for having such expectations, and we must forgive others for not meeting such expectations. Only then are we free from the bondage of resentment. Core principle number nine, immortality. The spiritual truth is that being one within of God and with one another. The one infinite eternal life of God lives within and as each of us. So we transition from one plane to another, but there is always this one eternal life. This is especially comforting to me when I realize that even though I may no longer engage in certain behaviors that cause harm not only to me but to others, such as giving under the guise of bartering and then becoming resentful when I believe I've been cheated because the other person didn't do what I wanted or expected them to do. It's comforting to know that I can still forgive myself for such past behavior and know that even if that person is no longer on this earthly plane, this forgiveness extends itself to that person on the unseen side of life core principle number 10 the Christ principle or what some may wish to call the Buddha principle or some other reference but we're not talking about Christ as a person here what we're talking about is the principle of the highest consciousness That is the potential within each one of us to be that embodiment and expression of God's divine nature with all of God's attributes. This is truly living according to and in alignment with divine love and law, which rises above man's law of the golden rule. Perhaps the best example of the Christ principle or Buddha principle that I can give you and leave you with is how for many years when I lived in the Los Angeles area, I had a 12-mile commute to and from work, Monday through Friday. Now, depending on weather conditions, including fires... a weather condition now, or visiting dignitaries such as presidents or presidential candidates, or award shows, or road construction, or any other number of conditions and situations. This commute could take anywhere from 30 minutes to two or more hours. And almost every day, no matter how much spiritual practice I did in the morning, at the start of my day, I'd leave home or leave work feeling a low level of anxiety, not knowing what possible obstacles I might meet on the road, and not knowing whether I'd be late to work or late to an appointment or meeting after work. But it wasn't just me feeling this way, it was thousands of other drivers that I shared the roads with on their daily commutes. And many times they wouldn't follow the golden rule. They would cut me off or honk when the light was turning green, telling me to hurry up, or other aggressive behavior that would make me feel even more anxious. But then I learned a simple affirmative prayer that sums up how we can all rise above the golden rule and not be a doormat. When we live in alignment with divine love and law, we rise above man's law of the golden rule. And yet that doesn't mean we don't do anything and let others use us as a doormat or try to make us roadkill. No, what we do is we tap into and harness a power greater than ours, that being the powerful love of God's omnipotence, a power that is ever-present as God's omnipresence, and a power that is all-knowing and wise as God's omniscience. And we let this omni-goodness of God guide us, direct us, protect us, comfort us, and love us so that we act out of pure love, we give out of pure love, We receive with pure love, and we live knowing that we are the God that love, we are the love that God is. So here's the prayer, and I would say this prayer many times a day during my commute, and I learned it from Dr. Mark Vieira at North Hollywood Church of Religious Science, where I was for many years. It is this. I raise you and praise you in the name of love. Someone would cut me off, I raise you and praise you in the name of love. Someone behind me would honk their horn because I was letting a pedestrian cross the street. I raise you and praise you in the name of love. This is the Christ or Buddha principle in action, rising above the man-made law of the golden rule that I'll do unto you as I would have done unto me. So I would be, and I am a respectful driver, and then if one of those we called them special people, would come along and decide that they have their own rule. Instead of getting mad at them because they're not following the golden rule like I am, I would just simply raise and praise them in the name of love, knowing that at the end of my commute, I didn't have to feel that low-level anxiety or anger or resentment, and that I didn't have to forgive anyone for their behavior or for my behavior. I was present in the moment, raising and praising in the name of love. When I do this, love is all I feel. Love is all I see. And this is not being a doormat. This is living in alignment with divine love and law. This is pausing and asking spirit, what would you have me do? This is knowing that all of us are God's beloved, made out of God's golden stardust of divine love into love. So we are each love unfolding love. I raise you and praise you in the name of love. So let's close with this simple affirmative prayer, saying it together. I raise you and praise you in the name of love. Yes, love is all I see.